Ladies and gentlemen, he is one of the most influential chefs in the world. He's the co-creator, producer, and host on shows like Bizarre Foods, What's Eating America, and he's got an amazing, engaging new show called Family Dinner. Andrew Zimmerman, welcome to Meet Me for Coffee. How are you? Good morning. Fantastic. Good morning to you. Thank you. Uh, how do you take your coffee? Let's get that question out of the way. Uh, black. Awesome. I've got my coffee here right now, and we've got a nice franchise up here in Canada called Tim Hortons. Uh, I got my H.E. Double Hockey Sticks coffee. I take mine black as well. So you got a new show called Family Dinner. It struck a chord in me because my family, they're, they're refugees, and I really liked the preview because you phased in your life in the transition to the next uh, premise of the show. I like how you were really personable. I think you're really down to earth. I think you're one of the most down to earth personalities on television. And it had me locked in immediately. Can you talk about how you came up with the concept of family dinner and what it's all about for our viewers and listeners? It's uh, it's got a great Genesis story, completely unique and, and probably the fastest television show uh, that our production company has, has sold in its history. Um, the folks at Magnolia, I knew Chip and Joanna Gaines when they first joined the Discovery family of networks, when HGTV uh, first put them on the air with their original show, uh, Fixer Upper. And uh, apparently, I, I don't remember the, I, I, I remember the first time that I met them, but I don't remember the details, but they remembered the details. And apparently, a lot, as new talent, uh, when you go to these upfronts, these big collections of all the stars in the Discovery Network's galaxy, it can be very intimidating. And uh, apparently I was nice to them and I found them absolutely delightful. And I remember meeting them that day because they blew up and I was like, oh, there's that nice couple from Fixer Upper. Wow, it's, you know, it's the biggest show on TV now. Um, and when Discovery made their deal with Chip and Joanna, they brought uh, Allison Page over from... Uh, Food Network uh, to run the the partnership network between Chip and Joanna and Discovery. And I've known Allison for like 20 years. So Allison called me up uh, and said, hey, Chip and Joanna want an intuitive content show. That's our production company on uh, the new network. Our production company is a premium production company. We uh, have certain areas of expertise. We've branched out into a lot of other uh, genres, but we're a premium company with a certain look and feel. And they really wanted a, a show that was uh, that that looked and felt like ours. And they said, "Let's go get one." So we started talking. And they said, "What we we heard a lot about the network." And literally, the first words out of my m- mouth were, "How about a show called Family Dinner?" And uh, Allison knew right away what I meant. The other people in the room did not. In every, I shouldn't say every. In almost every episode of TV I've ever done, and in 99.9% of Bizarre Foods episodes, uh, we did a family dinner. We didn't have a big giant yellow arrow pointing at it or flashing lights saying, pay attention. But I wanted people on one side of the world to see, because the show aired in 170 some odd countries. I wanted people in one side of the world to see what people on the other side of the world looked like at the dinner table, because I felt if, if, people in Japan could see what people in Ecuador uh, in the jungle are like eating at dinner. They would recognize themselves because we all do the same stuff. 
and I would put my dining out credentials in family homes up against anyone over the course of the last 15 years, everybody does the same thing. I don't care whether you're a, a, a tribe in the Kalahari or whether you're a French family uh, of means in some, you know, fancy 600 year old castle, you know, the grandmas tell the kids to sit up straight and, you know, pay attention and yes, clear your plate when you're done. I mean, it's the same stuff absolutely everywhere. So I said, why not do family dinner? It's something I believe in so strongly. I think it's an undertold, everyone does it, um, who can afford to eat, because uh, eating well in the West is a class issue, which is horrific. Uh, but it also allows us to tell the stories of who these people are. And I think in a world that constantly defines itself by what separates us, another show that contributes to the things we have in common would be of value. So they went back and they said, oh my God, we love that idea. And literally within a week, they were like, we're going to buy it. Who do you think could host it? And we went through a whole list of people hosting it. And then Chip and Joanna and Allison called me up and said, every time we're talking about who could host it, we keep thinking about, well, it has to be someone like Andrew. And then we can't find that person. So they're like, would you host it? And I said, uh, sure. And that was it. We went out, we made 20 episodes uh, over the last nine months. Uh, it starts airing in Q1 2021. I'm really excited for people to see it. I think the show is fantastic. I think it's absolutely amazing, the concept, right? I, I don't think it gets any more real than having a, a good meal and conversation because People let their guard down when they sit down for dinner with someone. Well, it's the day. I mean, I don't know how it is with your extended family, but when you all get together, I would imagine it's kind of like cooking all day and some people come and go and someone drops off a dish and someone else runs yep. to the market to pick up the fresh bread and then someone comes back and then someone's manning the grill and you get a chance to kind of talk to everybody and hear the family story. And there is no better, I mean, you can't, Herman Melville couldn't have written a more complex and heartfelt story of humanity than every individual family's uh, origin story. It, it's absolutely fascinating. So if you can get people to tell them your truth, it's unbelievable. You know, it's unreal what you get out of sitting down for a meal. You learn about stories that you've you've almost never heard of before, even though you've hung out with people forever, just sitting down, enjoying the day and being part of it. I mean, my family's from Cyprus and I know I probably talk about this in the show a lot, but I'm very proud of my roots. I'm proud of my, my parents and, and my family and everything they've, they've overcome in their lives. And you know what? Like living in a UN tent city for two to three years is pretty hard. And there are lots of great meals uh, that we go to every time we, we get together, when we used to get together at least. And, uh, and well, you know, it's really cool to know the history behind the meal and uh, where and how they learned to cook that and, 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 and what situation uh, it, it goes back to. Now, family dinners. What's your go-to family dinner for your family? Uh, if... If people were coming to my house, they would probably be eating uh, roast chicken with onion pan gravy or some variant of that. Uh, I do uh, the same dish that's made with lemongrass and chilies that I learned how to make 
in uh, in uh, Penang uh, in Malaysia. Yeah. Um, I make a version of it that I learned how to make in Peking that is essentially a a cross between uh, Chairman Mao's chicken and three-cup chicken, which if people like to cook a lot of Chinese food, they understand are two fairly similar recipes, but, you know, kind of meld them together in a lot of families. They they braise chicken in soy sauce and rock sugar uh, and uh, rice wine with cinnamon and star anise and chilies. And you get a glazy, delicious, can't stop eating it chicken dish with a big bowl of rice. Um, those are the types of things that I make. And then I fill the meal out with four or five side dishes. I, I like to put a lot of side dishes. I want people to eat a smaller piece of animal protein and a lot of beans and vegetables and farinaceous foods, et cetera, at my table. So there'll be, you know, a salad, there'll be a dish with grains. There are going to be, uh, you know, roasted vegetables. There's going to be, you know, some other uh, uh, vegetable dish on the table. And I, I think that's fairly typical for the one thing that it has in common, I think with your family gatherings and all family gatherings is that, Left to my own devices, the dishes that I default to are the ones that uh, also tell a story because, you know, my kid liked this. So we started making or I learned how to make this in this country from this grandma. And it became our family favorite halfway around the world. And you start to you start to understand where human beings get ideas and you start to understand how those ideas about food circumnavigate the globe now a lot faster than they ever have. I mean, you, you have to remember during the 16th century, during the uh, age of the great explorers and, uh, you know, the beginning of the colonization movement, uh, global colonization movement, the, the European countries all came through the Spice Islands and then all came up into the new world. And that's why our pumpkin pies have cinnamon and nutmeg and allspice and cloves in them. I mean, it's just, it's it's that simple. I didn't know uh, that. that that's and, awesome. And so food traveled very slowly. It took decades, uh, 500 years ago, um, and now it takes uh, just a matter of hours because I can shoot something in one country and influence another family to make it halfway around the world. Um, and that's a very, very speedy process. And I think, I think that level setting has merit. I think acceptance, tolerance, and understanding has merit. And we talk about traveling the globe. You were the host of Bizarre Foods, another great concept for an awesome series. Is there a country that's at the top of your list? I mean, if you name one, could you? And was there ever something that happened that's that was beyond crazy for you? Uh, something behind the scenes that you could tell us? Uh, you could almost pick any country in Africa and I would want to go back there first. Uh, Africa is a, just a, the, the most fascinating continent on the planet with countries that I find endlessly fascinating. And within those countries, dozens and dozens of cultures existing at the, at the same time, often tribal, uh, that I, I, it is, I get goosebumps just thinking about how glorious Africa is and it's under-traveled and underappreciated in the West. Um, and as far as 
stories and behind the scenes stuff. I mean, so many. Um, I mean, you have to remember, we would be someplace for a week. We'd put 40 hours of tape into each of three cameras uh, and then distill it down to 44 minutes. And, you know, so, so we're, we're using 1% of our tape to make our show. And then we have all of our free time in places that are, I mean, you stick 12 to 16 lunatics on an American TV crew and you put them in harm's way in Syria or put us on a sinking boat in the middle of the South Pacific or in a van sliding off a mountain in the Puerto Rican rainforest during uh, what's essentially was a hurricane uh, are, are all pretty, pretty wild things. I, I will say that there's a, there's a couple whenever anybody asks me that question, a, a couple pop into my head. Uh, the first one, we were in Australia and uh, we were uh, with some Aboriginal uh, people in uh, the north central part of the country. And we had, we had some ridiculous experiences with them on camera. Uh, I mean, 30 foot man eating crocodiles and these people are stealing their eggs while the mommy crocodile is looking from 30 feet away in the water. They move very fast. Um, and, uh, eating the, they eat the crocodile eggs, uh, raw. It's an incredible source of protein. And it's just, I mean, who, who knew, right? So the, we learned a lot about crocodiles while we're down there. And we were staying in a, uh, a campsite and the head of the campsite said, just make sure you watch the swimming instructions. Very hot, 120 degrees during the day. And they, they said, please, if, if you go bathe in the river, which you had to do every day just to cool off, it was wonderful. Was to make sure you do it in the, within the wire enclosures so they can have the water run through the w- river. They put, bales and bales of wire so that people can bathe safely in between the, the wire, you know, they give you like, they make like a swimming pool at some point in the, in the river. Right. So the crocodiles can't cross, although a crocodile could just walk around. So you're always kind of hedgy. Um, But you dip in the water. We came back from shooting one day and everyone was very sad. And I said, what happened? And I noticed that the, the, the nice, you know, family from England or whatever wasn't wasn't there anymore. Uh, and apparently they had had too much to drink that night, had gone down, oh, let's swim, and gone into the wrong side of the enclosure, right? Wow. And gotten, they believe, uh, taken by crocodiles. So, uh, you know, this is the environment that we're operating in there. So everyone is is scared shitless all the time. And you're so far out in the outback. I mean, there is, you are, you're it. I mean, you know, you're, we have security people there carrying guns. We have medical kits in case anyone hurts themselves. I mean, you are, you call for a hell, there's no medevac. The medevac is coming the next day. So, I mean, you're 24 hours from help of any kind. So we are, uh, we go to hunt uh, poisonous frogs at night with this uh, group of Aboriginal women. And 
we have seen these pictures that the only uh, uh, animal that uh, kills big 30-foot crocodiles are these tiny little frogs because the the crocodiles, if they're really hungry and they haven't gotten a lot of food, still haven't learned not to eat this one type of frog. There are dozens of types of frogs all over the water system there. Um, but there's one type of frog that has a, a bufotoxin in its spine on its back and it secretes this poison and it literally just explodes the crocodile from within. And they found these crocodiles on the side of the river banks or in these ponds or these saltwater estuaries with their stomachs blown open. And it's really from gorging on these poisonous frogs. So we go, we capture like 10 of these frogs. Uh, we clean them and they're, they're frying the frog's legs for me. And they're really big frogs because the frogs are huge. And they're frying these frog's legs for me. And the, the old white guy who was one of the guides is like, don't eat that mate, don't eat that. And I'm like, well, these, these people have been eating it for thousands of years and there's no problem. And I, and I turned to the ladies and through their translator, uh, I'm saying these are good to eat. And they're saying, oh yeah, we eat them all the time. Like you have to take the spine out, kind of like blowfish or some of the other poisons. You, you have to make sure you remove the glands with the poison, but then the rest of it is fine to eat. And the guy's like, too dangerous, mate, too dangerous. And so I eat one and it is out of this world delicious. I mean, it is the best frog I've ever tasted. I happen to like frog. So I eat another one and another one. And my director is like, slow down, slow down. And, you know, the, the, our old white guy just sitting there going, mate, you're eating too many. There's going to be, you know, the poison is in the meat too in little doses, but you, you know, you, you got a red line. <laughs> and I, I just kept eating the frogs. It was so delicious. And that night my producer director uh, got in the car with me alone. We drove like four hours to this clinic and we sat outside. There's no, there's no one in the clinic, but there's a phone there. And if you pick it up, it'll dial the doctor who comes over and opens the clinic and he'll see patients. And we sat there for like six hours until the sun came up because Chris didn't want me to die in my hotel room from eating too much uh, of the poisonous frog. Oh, and wow. I just remember sitting there looking at him like, can we please go back to the hotel? I, I just want to sleep. I'm going to be fine. I just ate the legs of the frog. And he's like, I, if you die on my watch, it's my career's over. I, I can't work in television again. So I'm going to sit here with you uh, until we know that you're out of the woods. And eventually Dawn came up and I said, come on. And we called the doctor and said, do we need to wait any longer? This guy ate all these trees. He's like, no. He says, go home. The stuff is fast acting. He'd been, he would have been dead in the car driving over here. Holy moly. You always have these experiences. I mean, you could probably tell so many stories around the campfire or even just start a new episode of Bizarre Foods Behind the Scenes or even do a whole new series on those stories. Now, when you travel the globe, like, how do you find the producers or the spots, or the families that want to feed you? You know, uh, you know, how do you manage to get that going, uh, especially when you're a foreigner in another country, uh, maybe getting people together, I would assume would be pretty difficult. Um, we have 
really fantastic uh, researchers and writers and producers who spend a lot of time uh, finding people. We have incredible fixers, producers on the ground in other countries that help us navigate and we work with very closely. Uh, we have a team of fixers in over 100 countries and regions around uh, the world that we still use for all of our shows. It's it's We often joke here at, at our company that you know, our, it's an old cliche, but, you know, our Rolodex is probably our most valuable asset. Um, the, the iPhone uh, changed the game for uh, international travel TV. Uh, it used to be that really good fixers, when we first started making, I mean, we made the, the pilot that was the, it was, well, it was a special, then they called it a pilot, then it became episode one, you know, that we made that like 16 years ago, right? So in those days, uh, to make that pilot, we had some fixers in four different countries who would actually take a small little uh, Sony prosumer video recorder and they would go out and they would shoot stuff and then they would mail us the little cassette. Now, if I want to do something in the furthest reaches of the Amazon, right? I can contract with outfitters down there to take a producer up the river two, three days to wherever, let's say this tribe is. And literally he just sits there and FaceTimes us and says, here it is. And we get to, uh, we get to actually interview people and cast people and say, oh, that character, that character. We get to see someone's food while they're cooking it. The the ability to research now is as far away. I mean, it's immediate. It's it's immediate. And so that's been incredibly helpful uh, to us. I, I also think the, the, the production team here at Intuitive Content that uh, Patrick and Patrick, the two gentlemen that run uh, the company for me, uh, have assembled is uh, is has an incredible nose for a good story. I, I think the 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 most undervalued talent in the TV business are people on the other side of the camera uh, in production, very very early on in the process, who say no, go left here, not go right, because it's that very first one or two decisions that dictate where you wind up six months later shooting. And if that decision is a wrong decision, it's uh, toxic. You know, having a great producer and even like a host can really elevate your game or people that know how they're, what they're, what they're doing when it comes to editing and, and how to set up shots and having people you can trust on the ground is, is, is an amazing thing to have. I know cause I, I've tried producing things as well and sometimes they work out really well. Other times not so good. Um, I heard about the independent restaurant coalition. Can you talk about that? Uh, sure. Uh, when the, COVID pandemic uh, first hit at the end of February, beginning of March here in the United States. And obviously it had started in other parts of the world. Uh, we, um, a couple of us, 30 some odd folks who uh, have been doing a lot of uh, service work and a lot of social justice advocacy and who had connections in Washington, D.C. and who were mobilizers and thought leaders in our industry, et cetera, 
got together uh, on a, a phone call, right? Uh, Zoom was a week away from being popular. And we, uh, we founded the Independent Restaurant Coalition whose sole purpose is to uh, advocate on Washington, D.C. Uh, for legislation that will save our industry from what I believe is an extinction event if we don't get what is now called the Restaurants Act passed in uh, Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. It's passed Congress. Uh, it's sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. It's got bipartisan support, Republicans and Democrats here in our country, in the, the Senate. Both have sponsored this bill. Um, it's about saving jobs. It's about saving the economy. It is, it's horrific that anybody would be against it simply because uh, while it's got a $120 billion price tag, uh, every independent agencies uh, from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to the Office of Management and Budget all agree that if it isn't passed, it will cost $270 billion to taxpayers in lost jobs, lost revenue, lost travel, on and on and on and on and on. This is something that we need up here in Canada. I know a lot of the restaurants which Toronto right now is in their second lockdown, a full-on lockdown. And the first time around, a lot of the restaurants uh, almost didn't make it. So how is uh, independent business or a restaurant or independent, uh, maybe even like a franchise, going to survive something like this? Uh, something needs to be brought to light up here, and I hope that somebody is listening to this interview and, and can do something about it. Well, Andrew, the holidays are around the corner. Well, it's not going to be the same as before, but you know what? It, it, it's going to be fun with your family, let's say. Any holiday meal recommendations? I know, well, your eggnog's pretty good, and, well, I'm your number one fan, uh, especially now I'm a top fan now on Facebook, on your Facebook group. I just got word of that badge somehow. Kind of embarrassing, but it was just moments before this this call when we jumped on here. What are your go-tos for holiday meals and what are you cooking this coming Christmas? Well, this this coming up uh, holiday season is going to be different than any other, just like yep. Thanksgiving was different than any other. Absolutely. Uh, the idea that we can gather for uh, the December holidays, um, I think, are uh, a pipe dream. Uh, Hanukkah starts, I think, on the 10th. Christmas Eve is the 24th. Uh, Kwanzaa, New Year's Eve. I mean, I don't think, you know, the Chinese New Year coming up then after that. I think we are eight weeks away from being able to even think about uh, gathering outside of our protected pods. Um, here in America, uh, I mean, Canadian Thanksgiving is much earlier in October. Uh, belated happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, Thank you. But uh, Thanksgiving here in America was just last week, and we had our busiest travel day since March. I, I find that as a, as a citizen, that my fellows would get up and, and that 9 million people would take an, a, an airplane on Sunday alone is the kind of super spreader event of sci-fi movies. We're not talking about, you know, 20,000 people in a stadium at a political rally or, you know... Uh, you know, 500 people in a movie theater or, you know, 100 people at a wedding, all of which have proved to be very big super spreader events. Uh, we're talking about 9 million people taking an airplane trip on a Sunday, on one day in America. Uh, 
that is, that's horrific to me. So, you know, start the clock five to seven days. People are going to start to get sick five to seven days after that. It's going to, we're, it's going to overwhelm an already overwhelmed healthcare system so that the idea that we're going to be gathering 20 to a table is out the window. So it's going to be small. It's going to be humble. I'm probably going to roast a duck uh, this year. I mean, you know, the big ham is out of the question. We already did uh, a small turkey for Thanksgiving uh, and gave a lot of that away and processed a lot of it uh, into other dishes to freeze and enjoy later. So I'm, I think it's going to be uh, a duck for two this year. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe, maybe not turkey. I, I want to roast. I'm really sick of turkey, and I, I'm looking for any other alternative, to be honest. Have you tried a capon? No. No, no, no. Uh, fantastic. A, a, a neutered male chicken. Uh, the, it, it, it's, you know, they get to be seven, eight pounds. Uh, you can eat off it for a couple of days, uh, but it really makes a wonderful roast. And it's funny that you use that word because uh, I actually tweeted or Instagram, I forget, somewhere I pulled something out of the oven and I just said, is there anything better than bringing a beautiful roast to the table, whether it's two people or four or 24, if you live in South Korea and can gather in those numbers? Um, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, a, a crispy lacquered duck coming to the table, carved up, uh, you know, if, if it's just my son and I, for Thanksgiving than it's or for Christmas than it's just us. So we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. And well, Thanksgiving for you guys is like a whole weekend shebang, to be honest. And I, I really hope that we can celebrate Thanksgiving on the same day one day, Andrew. Why can't we? I mean, it's, you know, you've seen that map, right? That, that came out like eight, nine months ago where uh, a whole bunch of states were going to, uh, become absorbed into Canada, leaving a whole bunch of other states of ours behind when it seemed like there was this rift in this uh, country that was actually going to boil over into something much worse than even what we're seeing now, which is pretty darn bad. Uh, We know that uh, I live in Minnesota. We're right on your border, right? So we think of ourselves as almost uh, Canadian, we, we ought to have the same currency and we ought to have some kind of there. There should be greater joining of stuff. And, the, and it should start with the merging of one uh, Thanksgiving. I, I, I'm the person who wants to give up Pilgrim Thanksgiving, number one, because it's a yeah. myth. Number two, it's disrespectful to the indigenous people. It's just a horrifically racist uh, holiday. Right. Yes. So. Why can't we actually have Indigenous Peoples Day and let that stay on the the last Friday of the month in November, which is, you know, traditionally when it is? And can't we move like a gratitude day and push it closer with Canadian Thanksgiving and just maybe pick something in the middle and we could have turkey and poutine? You know what? We, we should just honestly just move it to the American Thanksgiving, put it all together and... We just all do it at the same time because many of us take the Thursday, Friday off to watch football anyway. Um, but, you know, I don't really like the turkey thing. I always try and get out of it, the whole lamb thing. And and uh, I always like lamb. I like uh, souvlaki. I like the roasty of the spit and whatever. And I know you're a big fan of a, of lamb. And uh, we talked about this off the air before uh, we tuned in here that, you know, uh, lamb is one of your favorite go-tos in the kitchen. 
And I'm sure I know that because I guess I'm one of the top fans on Facebook now. So, um, and it all goes back to the family dinner thing, which I'm really happy that you came uh, on my show, taking time out of your, your busy schedule to talk about this amazing series that I just co- have completely fell in love with the concept because uh, my grandmother's recipes, uh, both their recipes are immortalized in my head. And I hopefully one day will put them all down on a piece of paper so I can cook them for my family and, and, and my children can cook them for their family and we can have that history behind uh, the dish and the stories and the memories. And Andrew, anything else you want to say on this amazing episode of Meet Me for Coffee with Andrew Zimmerin? No, it's a thrill to be able to speak to you. Thanks for uh, giving me a platform to rant about all the things that uh, that I like to rant about. Uh, and yes, I would encourage all of your uh all of the people who are listening and seeing this to please uh, check out andrewzimmern.com, sign up for our newsletter. You get tons of cool stuff into your box all the time. The the latest and greatest info on what's going on uh, in our world. It's a really great website, won a lot of awards. There's a ton of cool information there, including a lot of food recipes. Uh, So please go check out andrewzimmern.com.